Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Okay, hi, uh, this is Tim and Brian, joined with Brian. Um, <laughs> today's book, or this week's book, is um, How to Live by Sarah Bakewell, and it's about the philosopher Montaigne, or Montaigne, <laughs> according to the audiobook. I think the audiobook's wrong, personally. <laughs> what do they know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the correct French I'm just saying, the, the School of Life on YouTube calls it Montaigne. Oh, did you watch the School of Life videos? Yeah, man. Man, you really prepared for this. Well, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch the video in preparation of the interview of us discussing just the book. Just a coincidence. I just ha- I was just watch- I was just was I was <laughs> going down a rabbit hole of YouTube and I just saw the one of book about the Book of Life for Montaigne and I clicked on it. And they said Montaigne. I'm like, that's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, tomato, tomato, Montaigne, Montaigne. Um, so I chose this book to read, which I don't know if you're happy about or not. We'll find out. We'll see. Uh, and I chose it because I thought it would be interesting to learn about. I don't know, didn't know much about him going into this, and um, it's just, like his works have kind of stood the test of time. They've been around for a while. So I wanted to kind of see what all the hype was about Montaigne. So you've heard of this guy before the book. Right. I had not. Oh, really? I had no, no idea this I guy just, existed. like, vaguely knew him. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I've read, like, maybe bits and pieces, or he's kind of quotable, I think. Like, your little aphorisms, like Ben Franklin type oh. stuff. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So. Definitely. Yeah. So, did it live up to your hype then? What you were hoping? Not entirely. <laughs> I was a little disappointed, I'll be honest. Oh, really? Because, okay. yeah, even though he's really, well, he's pretty interesting, and there were parts of the book I enjoyed on the whole, I don't think it was tied together that well, or like super captivating. I know it took us longer than usual to read this. Right? It was a bit of a slog, so yeah. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, it was it was rough go for me. I mean, it's summertime. We have stuff going on. I mean, I got I got sidetracked with family reunions and whatnot. So, um, yes, uh, part of part of the reason was my delay in reading the book. But um, yeah, I liked it. But like, and I respect the author because it's it's like a history book. It's not a like a biography, right? You know, and. You know the the title I think is a little misleading. Oh, yeah. For sure, because it doesn't really like the the table of contents looks pretty intriguing. You know how to live in twenty. Uh, what does it say? In one question and twenty attempts at an answer. So and the table of contents is twenty chapters, and so each one is like a little a catchy little phrase of how to live, like survive, love, and loss. Use little tricks, and you know. Uh, be convi- convivial, convivial. Convivial, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like so, the the table of contents in the chapter setup leads me to believe that like each one is gonna have a little like, gonna be wrapped up like with a Montaigne aphorism, like you said. Yeah. That convey that, um, you know, relates to each one, mm-hmm. each of the chapters, but. Then she got talking about how Montaigne was read centuries later, and right. I'm like, and she was name dropping all these people. And I was like, I don't know who all these people are. Like, what do I care? You know, I mean, like, I feel like if someone was a big fan of Montaigne and had read his essays, because that was his main work, was his essays. If someone was a fan of his essays, then I think they should read this book. Yeah. Right? Don't you agree? We or probably do you probably should have read some going into this. 
Well, I mean, I don't know. It might have been a different experience a little bit. It could have been. It could have been. You're right. I thought she'd include more of his writing in the actual book instead of, like you said, just kind of talking about the historical aspects of it, mm-hmm. which it's important to have some, like, context and stuff for the time, but, like, if you're going to just mention the essays again and again that he wrote, mm-hmm. you know, the famous essays, then why not include more of them and actually have that direct source? I mean, she did a lot. You know, they were, at least in, in the printed version, there were, you know, little paragraphs, uh, little segments of her directly quoting from the essays. I'm not saying she didn't do it, but right. she just she also kind of rambled about historical stuff that wasn't always... Like all the kings and most of the wars of France right. and stuff? Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, it did definitely ramble, and I mean, it was interesting at times. Yeah. I say that with upward inflection because I thought it was interesting, maybe. like, But, but on the whole, it, it didn't... I, it was interesting, but it, but it dragged on. Right. That's so, a good way to put it. Yes. Especially towards the end, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand some extent of the context because, like, this was after the Reformation and kind of the Renaissance. Um, the plague was happening. Mm-hmm. So all, all of these things were influencing his life and, like, the wars between the Catholic and Protestants. Wow. So that's part of the reason he developed his sort of, like, philosophy of just... I don't know what. How would you summarize it? Like or living an ordinary life mm-hmm. and just living simply, um, observing the world around you and trying to like put yourself in other people's shoes and perspectives, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that wraps it up pretty well. I mean, he was very much a stoic and a skeptic, mm-hmm. right? And then and, and she she I, and I like that part where she talked about his his upbringing and his background and and what he read and what he found interesting. And shaped his worldview, and I very much like that because there was a lot of stuff I liked too. Right. And and I feel like if I was to read the essays, I think I would enjoy them, but I don't. Are I you gonna read it one day? No, probably. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I feel like she, I think I think she does do a good job of giving like she explains the events that happened in Montaigne's life that led him to kind of view the world this way. Yeah. And so you're right. She didn't explicitly always she quoted the essay some but not you know not all the time and and but i think that's what it was and at the end of the day it is a biography and but it was more history laden as well so i mean it was just it was just kind of rough to read at times yeah and there were times where i thought she might have been stretching with her assumptions because it's like Mm. this guy was 500 some years ago how do you know like what events led him to think in certain ways, mm-hmm. a lot of that is just sort of guessing on your part. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I agree. I just wish there were more kind of synthesis of his ideas, mm-hmm. like synthesizing here were the different things that he thought, and I combine these into a way that is new and interesting. Uh-huh. I don't know how much we would have got versus reading the essays directly versus reading this book, but... Right, but I think that's why she kind of goes into the history of things, because... It sets up the world in which he lives, in which he because like if he if we yeah. just read the essays, he's saying that's just it. I mean, we don't, I, we haven't read the essays, right. so maybe yeah. I, you know, maybe there's stuff in there where he kind of rambles on. And we're like, well, what's he talking about? And then maybe she's supp- supplying more context for those, right? Because he, I mean, that's all the essays were were just a bunch of his digressions and and ramblings, yeah. Um, which 
I'm sure we're very very eloquent for a fifteen you know fifteen hundreds <laughs> French guy. Well, it was almost like she couldn't decide if this was going to be biography, history book, or self help book because the title <laughs> and the you know like it, it comes off like a self help book. Yeah, yeah. With the title and the the lead up to it. Twenty yes. ways to live your life. Right. But right. I wonder if that was almost like an intentional misdirection, mm-hmm. almost like a meta point because a lot of his essays she described as being. Uh, starting out with a certain topic mm-hmm. and then not following that kind of digressing right. and I wonder if she did that intentionally maybe I'm reaching there you know or, I mean? yeah I mean she may have or maybe you know people have viewed the essays as such a uh, you know a monumental work that affected them so deeply that she was going off of that I guess quality of the essays that people found so good is that um, you know it's they're reading it and it's like they're experiencing he's experiencing what they're experiencing even centuries later and so because people have such a profound relationship with the essays maybe she's leading that into how she wants to portray Montaigne's life as well There's, yeah you know, well a lot of self-help books probably make too over too many like overarching points or kind of big declarations mm-hmm. and his whole life is just like as she describes it saying things like i don't really know what i'm talking about but here's what i noticed about this or that so yeah. observations and then these kind of disclaimers like mm-hmm. but who really knows right Which right i kind of like it's more humble than the average like philosopher oh absolutely absolutely and i and i you know that is something i think we could i think that's one thing that makes Montaigne so um, relatable mm-hmm. is that you know these great philosophers like Socrates and Plato and all of them are like you know seem so wise mm-hmm. but like I don't I don't you know I haven't read much Socrates and Plato but like they don't I mean they don't seem like they they're ones to have doubt right you know Montaigne is like will have like she's I think she mentioned this specifically that like he'll he'll write a paragraph about how he views the world and then at the end he says like. Or maybe not. I don't know. You know, like, and yeah. I, and I kind of dig that. You know, because like Montaigne, at the end, knows that he is just experiencing the world through his lens, and who's he to say that other people view things the same way as he does? Right. And one thing was he, him and his cat. He views the world from his cat's perspective, and which I thought was cool. <laughs> I, yeah, I enjoyed that. There are big parts of this book talking about his sort of views on animals and talking about like thinking things from an animal's perspective mm-hmm. like dogs and cats and it was just really funny because mm-hmm. yeah you don't hear many <laughs> philosophers talk about that so yeah. much yeah. but it's like yeah maybe certain animals are smarter than us in certain ways and that they can perceive reality differently mm. or something you know mm-hmm. they kind of mentioned that um yeah things like that yeah but yeah the skepticism really came out in some of the quotes like uh all I know is that I know nothing, and I'm not even sure about that, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was a good... Like, I've heard the first part of the quote, uh-huh. like a Socrates, but then the last part mm-hmm. um, yeah. kind of yeah. makes it even better, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, the three philosophies were Stoicism, Skepticism, and Epicureanism that uh-huh. sort of guided his life. Right. And Stoicism and Epicureanism, I guess, were similar in some ways, that it was like, try not to let your emotions take control of you too much and to try and live in the present mm-hmm. were kind of big parts of them. And I think, wasn't there a difference the way they dealt with that? Of right. trying to how to live in the present? Um, I think Stoics were like always thinking like things could always be worse. Right. 
and Epicureans, I forget, like they were, I don't know, I forget the details. They, they were more positive, I think, in general. Mm. Like she compared Stoics to like boxers and uh, Epicureanism, Epicureanists to uh, like martial arts, oh. Zen masters, kind of, something like that. Mm. Because Stoics, yeah, they would visualize maybe the worst case scenario of something that could happen mm. and try to like replay that scenario in their minds and prepare for the worst. So just toughen up. And right. Epicureanists were kind of more about... Uh, they put a positive spin on things, I guess. Mm. There's more to it, but... Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was like, you know, in the first third of the book that I read like three weeks ago. So... <laughs> right. <laughs> Forgive me for not remembering those details. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely... I mean... Yeah. Do you have any favorite, like, specific... Uh, chapters or anything or do you know do you remember or? i think definitely the philosophy one we were just talking mm -hmm. about and right, then right. the parts talking about the animals um those are honestly two of my most favorite because mm -hmm. i like those philosophies and i like animals <laughs> but <laughs> uh besides that i don't know mm -hmm. did you have a favorite one or like a favorite lesson no it was definitely the philosophy one where yeah where yeah where we go into the details of how montaigne what montaigne read to help shape his worldview which i found very interesting but then you know like as i was slogging through the book this week trying to finish it the part at the end that i really enjoyed was this marie de gournay okay the yeah she was the young girl that invited him to their home when he was in Paris one time and he visited him right. and she was because she read his original essays and became a super fan and then he be, she became an adopted daughter of Montaigne right and then after his death she then edited his last version of the essays mm -hmm. and I kind of I found her refreshing because even in 1500 France like she you know was a kind of a fem feminist Right. And I and I thought that was kind of cool. I didn't expect to be reading about Montaigne and then have a, a strong female character. You know, because it seemed like his wife and his mother and his daughter were all... I mean, like he, they didn't really even go into... They talked about the, his relationship with his mother and, and wife some. Yeah. But kind of like how they each had their own... He and his wife each had their own tower in the, in the <laughs> home. So, like, how much do they really get along? Yeah. I mean, they seemed, they seemed amicable and that he... She very much took care of his remains after he died, as a show of uh, loving respect. But um, yeah. but to read about this this young girl then that takes on his work and helps edit it later, right. I thought was pretty cool. And how she's kind of a spitfire and and wasn't gonna adhere to the patriarchy of the 1500s, but as best as she could. <laughs> did, did it sound like she was like a, had a crush on him or something, or that she? He probably like yes. had a, was attracted to her, but he was just so old, so right. they just became like right. That's what friends. that's what the author kind of alluded to is that like we're not really sure how Montaigne felt about her at first. Yeah, like maybe he was trying to he would went there trying to hopefully seduce her, and then she wasn't having it, and he was like, okay, fine, you'll be my adopted daughter. Like yeah. that's not creepy to go from one to the other. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I thought that was a cool character, our person. You know. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then, so she kind of translated an edition of his book, right? Which... She didn't... Tra she edited it. She edited it. Yeah. But that, I mean, that raises an interesting point, which is, like, throughout history, mm -hmm. depending on the era and the person, whoever translates or edits an edition will have their own kind of spin to it, right? right? So how do you Oh, yeah, that's what... I mean, that was the whole, like, 
chapter 17 or 18 in there it was a whole chapter about how the English seemed to always like Montaigne because they were a Protestant country and so the Montaigne was never banned and they had a good translator of Montaigne right. and and um, they considered him as English as any other author and yeah how, how it's interesting over centuries how at different times and depending on the translation or editing of the book people can view it differently mm-hmm. and, and you know like I guess that was interesting but like I mean, the author did extensive work. I, I give kudos to the author for all the research she did for this book because, I mean, that was very detailed. But, like, I didn't... You didn't know, need all the details. No, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I say. I reiterate the fact that yeah. if I was a fan of Montaigne and a fan of the essays, then I'd find this book more interesting. Yeah. Because then it shows the evolution of a work that's hundreds of years old and how it can evolve. It's funny you mentioned his wife because... I remember reading in a small part where, and he had got this from Socrates originally, to marry a difficult wife because then you're testing your kind of ability to deal with oh, <laughs> adversity constantly. You're living what, you're, you're practicing what you preach, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, pretty much. You're, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I told my dad that once. I was like, Socrates married a really difficult wife so that he could like live up to these high standards and test himself and he's like that's a bad idea <laughs> like, thanks dad you're probably right I don't know <laughs> oh, yeah probably right yeah. oh man yeah but he wasn't like a super lofty philosopher he was just kind of like an everyday person which at the time it probably was more significant because like a lot of people these days write about everyday stuff, but like at the time, you weren't really supposed to write unless you did these grand things or something. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was more unique, probably. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that that was refreshing of during that time is to have somebody who wrote just about everyday life because yeah, it's gotta be like you said. There's plague going on. There's civil wars yeah. in France. You know, life is pretty lousy. Right. <laughs> I mean, and and. To have only people write books that talk about these lofty ideals, you know, can seem rather over everyone's head. I mean, like, who cares about that when you're just trying to stay healthy and and feed yourself and not get killed? Yeah. Um, But, um, yeah, but writing about everyday life, as Montaigne did, I think, did adhere himself to... Uh, the, the peasants or the more noble or more everyday people of the time and he had yeah. like a sense of humor mm-hmm. throughout oh, it too yeah. which yeah. considering the dark times was <laughs> a good thing but like you talked about the English people being a fan of his which was also interesting and they said maybe even um, Shakespeare was like influenced mm-hmm. by him which is pretty cool as well yeah that was cool and then then like the next paragraph in that chapter she talks like some guy had this crazy conspiracy where Francis Bacon was originally was actually the author of some Shakespeare of Shakespeare plays and Francis Bacon was the author of the essays. Like <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I mean <laughs> and it was like flimsy stuff like yeah. how in Shakespeare's plays they talked about about a lot about mountains, mountain mountains. Mount, which could be Mountain, Montaigne, <laughs> which is the French guy. That was a stretch. Yeah, yeah right? I mean, <laughs> super stretch. So, like, I mean, little things like that I didn't think were needed, but I guess she had to fill the book. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, it's it's sort of guessing if he was, if Shakespeare really was influenced by him. 
But you could say like Montaigne thought a lot about from things from a lot of people's perspectives, and Shakespeare is good at like putting himself in these different character mm-hmm. shoes, mm-hmm. or at least the works attributed to him. Yeah. But <laughs> all these like other popular figures, like Nietzsche, mm-hmm. Friedrich Nietzsche was really influenced Nietzsche? by. Nietzsche. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Whatever. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like, who else? I think Rousseau or like various philosophers. Right. But then there was people, there were people like Descartes or Pascal or something yeah. who were like angry about him thinking about the world from a cat's perspective. Or just like, she made it sound like they were really I know, irrational right? about it. Oh man. But it, it makes me so happy to think about these like serious philosophers getting... Mm-hmm. annoyed by this guy thinking about how a cat's right. thinking. Right. It's and funny. you know Montaigne would have thought that was hilarious. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that that's one thing. I do feel like I got a good appreciation of Montaigne from this book. Yeah. So I do feel like that she does a good job of of, of making me appreciate him. Right. As as a thinker and, and a person. So yeah, Montaigne would have been would have been laughing about it. <laughs> and been like, why are you guys taking it so seriously? Yeah. For yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to read the essays now? I mean, I feel like I I don't know what I would would I get more from the essays now. I mean, I feel like the main parts I kind of get. The, you get the gist of it, right? Yeah. I feel like reading the essays now would just be slogging through a lot of discourse to find the nuggets that I find interesting. Yeah. And maybe maybe this book already has polished the nuggets for me, so I don't have right. to do all that. It sounds like he used writing as a way just to think through things. Like, as he was writing, it was like a stream of consciousness mm-hmm. style where yeah. I don't know how captivating it is to read because he'll just be bouncing back and forth probably. Right. So I think one time she says that he goes on on length about sneezes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but I, I, I do think it's fascinating how he was brought up initially because when he after, right after he was born, he was sent to a peasant family for the mother of the peasant family to be his wet nurse. Okay. And I learned what a wet nurse, wet nurse actually is. Because, <laughs> you know, she would breastfeed him mm-hmm. until he was about one. And then he came back to the house with his mom and dad. But they had a tutor there who would teach him Latin. So his first real language was Latin mm-hmm. that his dad spoke a little of and his mom hardly none at all. So, like, his first six years of his life was basically him talking to his tutor and a little bit of his dad. I mean, and not really... I mean, that's got to be a crazy way to bring up a kid. Yeah. But, I mean, but it seemed to set him up well for education because he's excelled in school because he knew Latin really well. And, right. and then he, you know, then proceeded to have a successful um, political career after that, too. Well, what she talked about a lot was his upbringing was like a Montessori-type education, too, mm-hmm. where the dad would give him a lot of freedom to kind of do whatever he was interested in, mm-hmm. right? Just study his own right. thing. So that's kind of what I took away from it. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of plays out in his older life as well because he would get kind of bored easily and if he didn't want to do something, he just like wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of came off like as lazy or irresponsible mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of his family would like have to pick up the slack maybe. But, right. but you know, maybe that helped him mm-hmm. as a thinker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What else? What else? Yeah, I guess I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for a full biography and history lesson. 
Yeah. That's what kind of slowed my de- slowed my reading down. So would you recommend this to people? Or just be like, know what you're getting into? <laughs> yeah, you got to know what you're getting into. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Tim, for picking this All right. one. <laughs> the last book we read was so violent, and there was death on like every page. Yeah, so yeah. this was at least less depressing. Right, right. So Yeah, I agree. It, it was less depressing. I mean, you, you had people, you had Civil War, and right. p- people dying of the plague, and all kinds of nasty stuff. Did you? And how he dies is terrible. Like he gets a kidney stone infection, oh, and then right. his throat, and then his his whole body swells up, yeah. his, including his throat, and then he slowly suffocates to death. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But he also, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's no, terrible. No. But like in the early part of the book, she talks about how he had a near death experience of like nearly falling off of a horse. So, and then he. Like came back from that, and he said it wasn't that bad, or he wasn't as scared. Right, right. Which you wonder. I don't know. I know, <laughs> I know. That that kind of kicked him off on, on this whole philosophical journey that he yeah. went on because he didn't really write before then. Mm-hmm. And um, I do like that you know she led the book with that, right? Because that was such a monumental event in his life that that was really the the crux of this whole that his whole work really. And his best friend dying. Yes, right. Laboti. 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 I don't know. The audiobook had a mm. had that French accent. Had a very pretentious way of saying right. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, there were a lot of French names in here, man. A lot of French stuff. Yeah. One slogged through it. Though. One more funny thing about him riding the horse yeah. in general is that because he was like a pretty short guy yeah. apparently, so she said he would ride the horse to look taller, <laughs> and like just he came off like he was always trying to like seduce women right. and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't sound like height. The height was too much of an issue back then, right? I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, she he was yes shorter than I think the average right. person, but. Yeah, it, I guess it is what it is. Yeah, it was it what is. it was. Right. It was know. what it was. <laughs> it was just funny that he was like taller. Oh man, though, but yeah, it does not make me want to have kidney stones, man. <laughs> Nobody wants to have kidney stones. Well, I mean, like, yeah, he was, yeah, I and like, I think she made a comment that that was one criticism of some some people, like in the later years, they were like, does he have to talk about his urination so much? Well, right. like. You know, if you're having kidney stones and you're just writing in your essays of whatever you're thinking about, yeah. that's going to be on your mind, you know? Right, like, yeah. I can't imagine having kidney stones and then being like, oh, writing about, you know, the beautiful weather or something, whatever <laughs> is going on that day. You know, it's like, no, my freaking penis hurts. Jesus. <laughs> Should I not say that? I've got to edit that out. Yeah. You can. You can edit that out, please. It's <sighs> supposed to be family friendly. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just, like, he writes that way because that's, he writes what's on his mind, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Know? And that's so, that's the whole point, yeah. yeah. Did you have favorite quotes? You want to do favorite quotes? Let's do quotes, yeah. All right, man. You got one? Well, yeah, of course. I always have favorite quotes. <laughs> this is early on. A lot of my quotes I found were the separate paragraph that she so from quotes the from the actual yeah. essays. As I found a lot, and, and this is just one early on about just what Montaigne says. He says, If others examined themselves attentively as I do, they would find themselves as I do, full of innate and nonsense. Get rid of it I cannot without getting rid of myself. We are all steeped in it, one as much as another, but those who are aware of it are a little better off. 
Though I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I should just end all my sentences with it. Although I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Okay. So I can give one about like animals that we were talking uh, about earlier. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, Here we go. So he says, we humans persist in thinking of ourselves as separate from all other creatures, closer to gods than to chameleons or parrotfish. It never occurs to us to rank ourselves among animals or to put ourselves in their minds. We barely stop to wonder whether they have minds at all. Yet for Montaigne, it is enough to watch a dog dreaming to see that it must have an inner world just like ours. Yep. And he talks about, like, a dog dreaming and thinking about running after, like, a rabbit or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I did like that. I got another one about animals. Should we stick to the animal thing? Yeah, go for it. There is a certain respect and a great duty of humanity that attaches us not only to animals who have life and feeling, but even to trees and plants. We owe justice to men and mercy and kindness to other creatures that may be capable of receiving it. There is some relationship between them and us and some mutual obligation. Mm. So you like the hippie stuff? I do like the hippie <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> Just love nature, man. <laughs> I love hugging those trees. Um, I also found it interesting how Montaigne would like he 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 was fascinated with like well like how you respond to a mob or something like that, mm -hmm. you know? Because like he was he was robbed a couple times, but one time bandits overtook his party and he basically told him that if they take him for ransom, they're not going to get any money. Mm -hmm. And he was blunt with them. And they, then they talked it over and let him go. And, you know, in times when there's thieves and robbers all throughout the countryside, he has his compound completely unlocked. And I think there was a quote in there about when you have your place completely unlocked and open for all, because he'd welcome people to his place too, you give the impression that there's that you have nothing to hide. Right. And then, therefore, nothing to, valuable. It's to like see. a psychological yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> like if, like we, to keep something valuable in your home, leave it out in the open. Because if somebody comes to rob your house, they'll overlook that that things sitting on the table because they think your valuables are hidden in a drawer somewhere. Right. Right. You had pretty right. like good comment. Yeah. I don't know if it's common sense, but it's it's smart like kind of human yeah. psychology or right. understanding how people are. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got one. All right. So this is T.S. Eliot describing Montaigne. Uh, yeah. So he says, Of all authors, Montaigne is one of the least destructible. You could as well dissipate a fog by flinging hand grenades into it. For Montaigne is a fog, a gas, a fluid, insidious element. He does not reason, he insinuates, charms, and influences. Or if he reasons, you must be prepared for his having some other design upon you than to convince you by his argument. <laughs> So, and she kind of goes on to say, like, he neither argues nor persuades. He mm -hmm. just seduces. Right. Like, he charms the reader right. without making this kind of grand, overarching point. Yes, I definitely highlighted a lot in the chapter about his philosophy and what he read, chapter six, when how to live, answer, use little tricks. I mean, it's basically saying that the thought that the ability to enjoy life is thwarted by two big weaknesses lack of control over emotions and a tendency to pay too little attention to the present. Mm. 
And then, and then Montaigne goes on to say, Do not seek to have everything that happens happen as you wish, but wish for everything to happen as it actually does happen, and your life will be serene. Mm. You know? That's good. That's yeah. kind of the Latin, like, amor fati. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she mentions that love several of, times in the book. Love yeah, of fate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She also said, like, we're closer... And it's, it's obvious when you think about it, but, like, we're closer to him in history than he was to the Greeks, right? Yeah, isn't that crazy? So, yeah. like, it makes sense, but, like, to really contextualize that, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. we are a lot closer to him in history, but mm-hmm. we both draw from all that. Yeah. And to think that he lived before, like, you America was even... It was close to becoming a country. Yeah. He lived when they were still colonizing the New World, like... I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling. And then I, I did like the little nugget that I think early in the book she, she talks about the civil wars in France kind of came at a bad time. Well, I mean, let me, let me rephrase that. The civil wars in France came at a time when exploration was happening into the New World and colonization was happening. Mm-hmm. And so France kind of missed the boat, literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. about <laughs> colonizing the New World. So yeah. we speak English. South of here speaks Spanish, and you know, and Portuguese, and and you got French Canadian, yeah. French Canada. Canada. <laughs> you got French Canada. That's about it. So if France had their shit together, maybe we'd be speaking French. French right now. I said French. France. <laughs> French. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of their own internal stuff mm-hmm. they were working through. I right. mean, we allied with them at one point. Oh and, yeah. I mean, know. they got their stuff together later, but like, yeah. I just find that interesting that that domestic disturbance disturbances in France caused them to miss out on a on a, a worldwide political geopolitical you know movement that was happening yeah but then out of all of their turmoil and stuff they had like the enlightenment where a lot of french thinkers were enlightenment Mm -hmm. thinkers and then they would go on to influence like you know like american philosophy too sure and so like there was some things that came with that but then they still had like the french revolution and everything right there's still dark times ahead oh yeah so i'm i'm just thinking purely from a colonization point yeah. You know, yeah, I'm not saying that France didn't have big impact on society, world, world, you know, society and, right. and, and greater thinking, um, you know, advancements, right. but just purely in settlement of geographical regions, they kind of missed out on because yeah. they had the, their own stuff. To... Well, colonists did a lot of bad things too. Well, so. yes, of course. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> Brian's defending I'm not defending colonialism. <laughs> Like they really missed out on <laughs> well, they did. taking over people's land. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you're trying to say. Oh, and the, oh yeah, here here's something about his leaving the doors unlocked of his place and not not keeping a microscope on his servants and whatnot. He said, Yet it seemed to him better to lose money occasionally than to waste time tracking every penny and watching his servants' tiniest movements that's good i just feel like montaigne had a good outlook on life it's pretty laid back i got another one okay go for it all right this is montaigne direct montaigne i have seen no more evident monstrosity and miracle in the world than myself we become habituated to anything strange by use and time 
but the more I frequent myself and know myself, the more my deformity astonishes me, and the less I understand myself. Hmm. I think I found my favorite quote of the book. That's your favorite? Yeah, it's gotta be. Because he's so true that, that we become habituated to anything strange by use and time. Right. And, you know, to go off on a tangent here, oh, yeah. that movie we saw, uh, Sorry to Bother You, the, squeeze, the character Squeeze at the end, he says, when something outrageous happens and when people don't know what to do, mm-hmm. the abnormal over time becomes normal. Right. And, and this is what Montaigne is saying, too. Because we get used to anything by use and time. But ourselves, we're so intimately, we're attached to who we are, but yet we can look at ourselves in different situations, in different chapters of our lives, and we're totally different people. Yeah, I guess the whole idea of normalization is that you're so close to something day after day that you don't Ooh. kind of see the forest right. or the trees. Right. Um, which, yeah, is a good point. And in general, it sounded like he was opposed to habit for that reason because you get so caught in your own point of view and that's part of why he talked about jumping to other people's perspectives which you know it's a pretty timeless lesson Mm -hmm. just like put yourself in someone else's shoes and try to see the world from their point of view right and you can do that with your with your past selves too or a cat yeah or a cat (laughs) (laughs) yes or a cat tim self as a cat yeah (laughs) my past life (laughs) (laughs) but like i just found this 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 another another little tidbit i i found fascinating is people who really looked up to montaigne and his essays and one of them was stefan zwig who was an austrian jew who fled austria during the holocaust of course and then bounced around a couple countries and ended up in brazil and like, where he didn't really feel like he fit in, he was glad Brazil took him in with open arms, mm-hmm. but he found in Montaigne some solace, but then he ended up killing himself. Uh. And he and his wife like decided to kill himself. But this is what Zwig said. Um, Zwig t- extracted a series of general rules from the essays. And these are his rules. Be free from vanity and pride. Be free from belief, disbelief, convictions, and parties. Be free from habit. Be free from ambition and greed. Be free from family and surroundings. Be free from fanaticism. Be free from fate. Be master of your own self. Be free from death. Life depends on the will of others, but death on our will, our own will. And then, like, the next paragraph, the author says that he, you know, like, took some poison or something. He and his wife committed suicide. I'm like, damn, that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so, like, yeah. And I think those lessons sum up pretty well uh, his his philosophy. I don't know if I agree with all of them. I don't know. Oh, right, 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 right. Of course. I mean, but, like, knowing this wig gentleman's position where he was exiled from his homeland and I think he killed himself before World War II was even over so like he had no glimpse of hope on the horizon and I just can't imagine being that you know in such despair uh-huh. yeah well 
I guess one thing I like about reading in general is that if you find an author who matches a thought that you had or felt but maybe you couldn't articulate that's like a great feeling and so I think a lot of people find that in Montaigne because he does capture these everyday things pretty pretty well Mm -hmm. and it was interesting like throughout time how he meant different things to different people or like groups of people she talked about how like the romantics the romantic era saw him a certain way and then Mm -hmm. like 19th century 20th century each each era had a different like Virginia Woolf oh yeah yeah, yeah. had uh Mm-hmm. Was really influenced he loved by him. him. Yeah, and then here's a, here's another hot quote I highlighted that kind of touches on your point there because like like Mont the author says Montaigne even knew that his own work would keep going through the same mill for as long as it had readers, m- meaning it would be changed over the years and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And what Montaigne says to that, an able reader often discovers in other men's writings perfections beyond those that the author put in or perceived. And lends them richer meanings and aspects. Like so exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly what you said is like like we find in authors what we can't even articulate ourselves. Mm-hmm. But then this goes another step further, where we read into authors' works. Well, what we get out of it is sometimes not even what the author intended. Mm-hmm. But that's so fantastic about reading and art and in general. Adds a whole new dimension yeah. to yeah. Yeah, it's like makes it a shared experience too. Yeah. Like we think of reading as kind of a passive thing, but right. it's really like taking an idea and then, you know, combining it with your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how you can read something in one moment of your life and have it mean one thing. Yeah, and then years later, if you re you know revisit that work, it may have a whole new meaning mm-hmm. or a completely different meaning or have no meaning at all anymore. Right. And so, you know, you can get, you can, you can get, you know, you can have all kinds of feelings about that, but you can just still appreciate it for what it was at that moment in time. Yeah. Well, that's why it's interesting to record these because we can go back and be yeah, like, right? I can't believe I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I made Tim read Blood Meridian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was depressing. All right. Did you have your favorite uh, quote? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think this sums it up pretty well. Okay, so I like this quote and then her short explanation that follows it. If you fail to grasp life, it will elude you. If you do grasp it, it will elude you anyway. So you must follow it. And you must drink quickly as though from a rapid stream that will not always flow. The trick is to maintain a kind of naive amazement at each instant of experience. But as Montaigne learned, one of the best techniques for doing this is to write about everything. Simply describing an object on your table or the view from your window opens your eyes to how marvelous such ordinary things are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just the constant theme of him mm-hmm. writing all the time and then right. helps you see the world differently. It's like once you once you put your thoughts on paper and then reflect on them, it just helps you become, I think, more objective and, and see, get a broader perspective right. of the world. Right. Yeah, I think that quote does wrap things up very nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, I think that's what this book in particular is about. It's about Montaigne writing, just writing whatever he wanted, mm-hmm. and then the author is explaining what's happening in the world around him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I think the essays themselves, I think, are more of a personal thing because you're view, you're reading Montaigne's thoughts and and his views on the world. And this book that we read is basically describing Montaigne's writings 
in the context of the world going on around it. Mm. And, and that's just it. That's what you said is like, you know, life will elude you no matter what. So all you can do is drink from the stream while it flows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep writing. I guess I do appreciate more the context of it after mm-hmm. talking it over because yeah. that's really what this book adds is the backdrop for right. his writing and maybe right. part of the reason why he wrote what he did. Do you have a rating for this book? Uh, so that being said, after going over the good and bad things yeah. that we thought, I think I would give it, are we doing three, like stars? Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Well, stars, rating. Whatever. Five, I know it was five or ten. It's five It was stars. out of five. Okay. Yeah. Three stars. Yeah, same here. Three stars out of five. Would you have said that even if I said? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you I've should said... write it down first. <laughs> oh, really? In like a blind vote? Like, okay, this is my, this is exactly what I said. Three, so I'm gonna say three. <laughs> Can't think for myself. I'm no, I'm, I I I mean I don't want to. Uh, I mean, really, for for me, most of the time it's gonna be on a three three level scale. Yeah. I'm probably gonna do a lot of twos, threes, and fours. Mm-hmm. Unless we read a book I really hate, then it'll be a one. Mm. But a book, I gotta really love the book to give it a five. Yeah. You know, so it's gonna be a lot of two, threes, and fours, and this is a, th- a I think a solid three. Yeah. I mean, I think my tardiness in getting it finished may, made me doubt it and be like, well, maybe it's a two because I didn't enjoy reading it that much. But I think I appreciate very much what the author did in this, in this book, is she collected all the, I mean, events in the world and the interpretations of Montaigne after his death and all that stuff together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's very admirable. And I think definitely for people who like Montaigne or like the essays, I think this is a must read for those people. Would you recommend it to like your friends and no. family? <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> same. <would>. Yeah. <laughs> same. Yeah. Like if you really like philosophy and some history and yeah, then you'd probably enjoy it. But right. Right. for most people, the average reader, I think you could pass. Yeah. I agree. So, with that being said, we're on to our next book, right? Yeah, what's our next book, Brian? Oh, come on, Tim. It's my choice. I'm choosing a Malcolm Gladwell book. (laughs) I never read Malcolm Gladwell before. I'm just a fan of his podcasts. But now... I'm reading them. We're going to read Blink. I think he's overrated. Just I know. Just going into this. Oh, I'm man. There's going to be serious fireworks next no, but, time. You know, maybe I'll, my mind will be changed. Yeah. I'll read the book and I'll say, oh, maybe I have these unfair preconceived right. notions. Right. Although, but I've seen like lectures by him and mm-hmm. I've, you know, heard bits and pieces of his podcast. Oh, bits and pieces. But it's that's, like, a, that's enough for make for you to make no, up listen, your mind and completely right. judge somebody. Do you think like Montaigne, he'll right. be around 500 years from now? Oh my goodness! Yeah, nobody will be around five hundred. Well, not years around now. physically, but like his, ide- his <laughs> ideas. What do you think? I knew what you meant, He's Tim. Immortal. I didn't mean. I didn't mean physically. I like. I think. But you could say that about a lot of social science stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of modern intellectual people are kind of BS. Empirical. 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 Ephemeral. Ephemeral. Damn it. Empirical. <laughs> I can't. I can't talk. But no, he probably has some good ideas, mm-hmm. and I don't know. We'll get into it next time. Well, yeah. Yeah, stay tuned. But yes, but please go to our website, twoguysonebook.com, and make your comments there if you have any. Yeah, read the next book with us, and then you can be part of the experience. Yes, we have the next couple books posted up there, so you can check right. out our reading list coming up. Got a lot to read. Oh, yeah. That's all we do now. <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.